Hi there, welcome to the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Griffith, and I am so excited to have you here. On this podcast, we talk about all forms of neurodivergence, from ADHD to learning disorders to giftedness to autism and more. If any of that sounds familiar, welcome to Neurodivergent Magic. Hi, Maria. How are you doing? Hi, Megan. I'm doing great. How are you? I am also good. I am super, super excited to have you on the podcast. I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a while. And I was like, how do I ask her? Is that weird? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I really am excited because, you know, I also have been following your podcast, obviously, and following your your brand and everything and all of the awesome work you've been doing. And we've been friends for a good long while. And it just never like popped into my head. Like I could be on that. Like, I'm usually like, I, you know, you know me, I'm just kind of like humble and stuff. I'm like, oh, I could actually be on a podcast instead of listening to it. So this is absolutely, you guys just wait. Like Maria is full of gemstones. She is going to (laughs) be awesome to talk to. Um, So I actually brought Maria on the podcast. She is a mental health advocate and neurodiversity movement advocate and just overall a very wonderful human. Um, But specifically, I brought her on the podcast to um, talk about sort of the similarities and differences in our brains. So uh, Maria has ADHD and I am autistic. And those are two uh, very like big forms of neurodivergence. And um, so we thought we would just chat a little bit about how our brains are similar, how our brains are different, um, things that we do that's the same things that we're both like, I would never do that. (laughs) So um, why don't you start by start by telling people where they can follow you, of course, because I want to make sure everyone can find you. But then also maybe give us a glimpse into like what your life is like with ADHD. Like if you have a good example, or if you have like a list of symptoms where you're like, this is this is what my life is like, or you know, whatever fits for you. I got you. All right. So you can find me at mysoulbalm.blog um, and on Facebook at mysoulbalm. Uh, I started my soul Balm about two years ago um, to because I noticed that there weren't a lot of mental health resources that actually applied to me as a neurodivergent person. And this was actually even before I knew I was neurodivergent. I just knew that I didn't see wellness and health in the same way. So um, that like, I think the mainstream did. So I wanted to create and find and put in one place all these resources and, and create like content for people kind of like who were more like me, a little more sensitive, a little more, you know, different, I suppose, creative thinking. I don't even, I didn't even know what, I didn't have words for it back then, but now I do. And it's, um, so all of our content, not all of our, like most of our content at this point is really geared towards neurodivergent people um, and also focuses on neuro minorities, minorities, um, and making sure that, um, and disabilities and stuff, and making sure that that mental health content is accessible to a wide variety of communities that normally are left out. So that's what we do. And this is where you can find us, mysoulbalm.blog. Awesome. Yes. Everybody go check it out. It's seriously a treasure trove of resources. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience with ADHD? You said you didn't know for a while that that's what was going on, but now that you do, like, how would you describe it? 
bees bees <laughs> bees <laughs> yeah and that's that's actually um something very common in the adhd community is that people describe it as like bees in your brain or in your body um it's like energy like crackling energy just for me like you know personally with it it's like having like a million thoughts in your head um going in a lot of different directions and you get so excited about everything and then like you're excited about nothing so it's a, it's a really interesting thing. So like, I think something that a lot of people who have ADHD can relate to um, getting excited, hyper-focused on a project or, you know, a new workout or a person even sometimes. And um, then like in a few weeks, like the newness starts to wear off and then you drop it. You either drop it or do the ADHD door slam, which is like, you never go back to that thing again. Or you like maybe come back to it in like five months or like a year. Um, and it's, it, that's it's something I'm working on right now is that, and because there's a lot of shame attached to that because we get this messaging from the outside world that we have to be consistent in order to be successful at a lot of things. And a lot of us, I think myself included are like jacks of all trades because we're so interested in so many things, but like kind of master of none. So, because it's hard for harder for us to focus on one thing and stick with it, so you know it's it's a tough one. And and then also like when I talk to people, my train of thought goes eight different ways. So if you notice that I just start talking about something else, thanks, thank you, ADHD. <laughs> yeah, all neurotypes are welcome on this podcast, and that Absolutely. includes the actual signs of your neurotype. So if that means we go on tangents, hell yeah, let's go on a tangent. <laughs> We're going to tangent town, baby. <laughs> so I think it's super interesting to hear you talk about your like different hyper fixations because I, mm-hmm. I sort of have experience with that. I think like I've had different, um, like fleeting interests like that, like really intense, but fleeting interests. But then I also really relate to the autistic idea of special interests, mm-hmm. um, I think I have like one or two and they have been super intense and very long-term. And I think like, Mm -hmm. that's a big difference. So like psychology, um, I have been obsessed with personality quizzes since I was a little kid, but then I wanted to be a research psychologist in high school. And then in college, I didn't do that, but I, instead I minored in psychology and now I, I run a, uh, like life coaching business and mental health blog. And so (laughs) it's psychology has been a long-term special interest for me. And then you have, um, like small business, which has been more recent, but has been really consistent for the last year. (laughs) I have been obsessed, um, and super deep diving into everything, small business and entrepreneurship. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Do you ever experience like those long-term things or yours more of the, um, consistent and intense, but short-lived? Uh, I suppose, I guess I could say yes and no. Um, okay. I think I experienced in mental health and like personal growth. Um, but I haven't always done anything with it. I've always bebopped around to different topics. I have like, I have a degree in geographic information systems um, but I ended up working for a food bank and now I'm a freelance writer and graphic designer who also does mental health blog so like I have less of the long-term stuff and I have more of the more sort of flash um, 
ideas, I guess, or not ideas or like fixations, I suppose. Um, but I do kind of, as I get older and as I realize more about my neurodivergence, I think of it like a cycle. Because if, if it's something that I really like, I have this idea or have this feeling that I'll come back to it. You know, like if, even if it is like five months later or a year later, if it's something that like I really am passionate about, I'll come back to it in one way or another. Um, like writing and like, because I also, in, when I went to college the first time, majored in writing and um, English. So, you know, I think it's all kind of like, it comes together, but yeah, I don't get like all in to win for one thing for a long time. I usually only do it like in a short, short spurts. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting what you're saying about how like, you know, you'll come back to it just in a different way. I think that Mm -hmm. totally relates to this idea that neurodivergence folks tend to think in spirals, whereas neurotypical folks tend to think in straight lines. So like Mm -hmm. you keep coming around to different things just in different ways and at a different angle. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) It is. And like, I used to have a lot of shame about doing that until I realized that was what I was doing I used to kick myself a lot and you know every once in a while I still do for not being able to be consistent and you can't see this but I'm doing air quotes um consistent um because again there's that messaging that we have to be consistent at something to be super successful at it and I I find that to be untrue I find that if I follow my own sort of process then I could be really successful in a thing uh, and I don't if I follow my own process and I trust myself, I have so much less shame and that avoids what I call the ADHD door slam, which is where you quit something or not even quit something. You just kind of ghost a thing. <laughs> like You can literally ghost a thing as an ADHD person. You ghost that thing. And then it, a couple of weeks go by and you get like so much shame for not doing the thing. Um, and I, and then you never go back to it because you're so ashamed. And at some point you're like, your brain just decides, well, we can't do this now. We'll never do it again. You know, and I call that the ADHD door slam. So without the shame, if I repurpose, reperspective it for myself, um, I can avoid that. And I can get back to things like my blog. That's why my blog has been able to grow over the last two years is that I will leave it alone for like three months and be like, okay, I'm not going to shame myself for that. I'm going to be like, you know, this is something I love. I just don't have time for it right now, or I'm just not interested right now. And that's going to be okay. I'll come back to it. And that has helped me so much. Yeah. Yeah. That is brilliant. And that's what I've been trying to teach myself too, is because I think that's something ADHD and autism definitely have in common is when we are raised in this neurotypical world, uh, we develop a lot of shame. Yeah. absolutely tons tons absolutely being raised neurodivergent in a neurotypical world you you find out really early on often through indirect messaging people don't usually tell you to your face but indirectly Mm -hmm. you learn you are different and that is bad Mm -hmm. um and that's a message you receive loud and clear and so the things you do differently, for instance, stopping on something you're really trying to progress on and coming back to it later, like that is not a neurotypical way of doing things. Or like for me, like getting incredibly invested in one or two areas of life, that's not a super neurotypical way to do things. Like people in the wellness industry, which is very neurotypical right now, are always talking about balance. And 
balance for me is going to look really different than balance looks for a neurotypical person. Balance for me looks like putting a ton of focus into these one or two categories, because that is what brings balance to my life, which I did not realize for the longest time, because I didn't realize I was autistic, but, um, realizing that I am autistic has made me see that, um, (laughs) my version of balance just looks completely different than the neurotypical version. Absolutely. And I, I'm the same way. What is, I have a question for you though. Like, what does your idea of balance look like? Balance for me looks, looks like a ton of rest. Um, Mm -hmm. I nap a lot. I nap almost every day and I'm often in bed by like 10 or 11 and I don't wake up until like eight. I get a lot of sleep and, um, I'm, I worry about that a little bit, but I've gotten tested for different things. And I don't think it's a medical thing or a physical thing. I think it's just what my body needs. Um, and so I give my body that. And then the other aspect of balance for me, that looks a little different, I think is allowing myself to sink into my interests instead of resisting and trying to balance it by saying like, well, you should only be somewhat interested in this. And then you should have other interests as well. Instead, I just say, well, that's not what balance that feels really imbalanced to me because I'm not actually interested in those other things. (laughs) So instead I just dump all my eggs in one basket because that's where they belong. They're eggs. They go in the basket. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. That's what works for you. Mm -hmm. I I can kind of vibe with that. Like, you know, it's easy, much easier for me to lean into my process than force myself to do things in sort of a more linear neurotypical kind of way. Right. Yeah. So how do you find balance? I know ADHD with, like you said, sort of bees everywhere. Um, how do you balance the bees? How do I balance the bees? Well, I have a story about that. <laughs> I like to, I like to make uh, similes, metaphors. What are they? Metasimiles. Um, <laughs> I had a horse one time and this horse, I played polo most of my uh, growing up years and into a little bit of as an adult I had this horse that um was crazy as heck he was off the track thoroughbred had you know basically raced for most of his life he was a nut and he nobody else could ride this horse and even for a while I couldn't ride the horse um but it wasn't until I realized one day that I need to stop trying to control this horse and just let him be and like let him do his thing even if like what he was doing wasn't the best thing I leaned into what he was doing. And then that's when we truly became partners. And like, I was the only one ever that could ride that horse because of that. And I think of that the same way as like controlling the bees. I can't control them. I can't control my neurodivergence as much as, you know, you can, I don't know. I don't know. I the thing as long, as much as you can do it, like a neurotypical can, you know, control their neurotypicalness. I don't know. Um, I don't know what to say about that, but you know, I can't, I just have to work with it. And just knowing that actually like, and just embracing that thought and embracing my, my process where I, I suck at routines and I'm not going to do a routine because I'm just, I just can't, I can't force myself to do that. And like not putting that pressure on myself to try to do those routines is super like uplifting I feel like a weight's off my shoulders when I do that. I 
again, I try not to shame myself for like, oh, you know, I used this planner for two weeks and then it stopped working. Instead, I reframe it and I'm like, I used that planner for two weeks and it worked really great for me in those two weeks and I'll adapt what I learned from that and move it while and use it while I'm moving forward, you know? And like, I'm trusting my own process and that's how I find balance. Absolutely. Learning to trust yourself as a neurodivergent person is so hard because like I said before, we were told directly or indirectly from a really young age that you're doing it wrong. And so even though that's what feels right to you. And so you learn to distrust what feels right. And you learn to trust other people over your own intuition and your own sense of self. And I think that's something we can both relate to for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that is like one of the biggest parallels between autism and ADHD is that we, we both, our neurotypes have learned to mask so much, mm-hmm. you know, because like growing up, everybody told me that, you know, like who I was, I was ditzy. I was an airy fairy, you know, like I, you know, wasn't good at math. Like all of that was like, you need to stop that. You need to stop that in order to be, you can't draw in class. You can't be loud. You can't interrupt people, you know, like all those things were so shameful. And I conflated those as a young child, just feeling like what's wrong with me, you know? And like, there was that messaging that I had to be perfect. And I did end up, and this is not scientifically based, you know, it's my theory. I do have, I'm diagnosed with OCD as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I believe that the OCD, um, whether I was born with it or not, you know, I think it got worse or developed because I was working so hard to mask because perfection to me meant that I was safe from people telling me how bad I was for being so sensitive or for being so weird or different, you know, and that lasted until adulthood. And it's exhausting. Masking is so exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, so I have a couple of thoughts based on what you said. So first of all, I think it's terrible that the thing that autistic people and people with ADHD have most in common is our trauma Mm -hmm. uh, from being neurodivergent. And that's, that's something that we have in common. And if you're listening and you're thinking trauma, um, for sure, being consistently invalidated and told not to trust yourself and told you're doing things incorrectly. That's not a, a like one-time big trauma. It's a repeated complex trauma and um it absolutely counts so if you're listening and you are like oh shit maybe i gotta do some trauma work um yep (laughs) yes you probably do (laughs) um so that was my first thought and then i was also thinking um what you were saying about the the ocd developing that actually fun fact from my special interest uh, of psychology that is how the biopsychosocial bio model works it's this idea mm-hmm. that basically you were born with this switch uh for ocd and it was already like halfway up like right. that's your genetic predisposition and then things in your life are what flipped it on all the way um, that is one theory in psychology. So absolutely. Yeah. Just good, good for your know. information. <laughs> Thanks. All right. I feel validated. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That's a huge theory in psychology that you can be genetically predisposed for a condition, but not necessarily be born with it. And then things happen in your life, typically traumas that yeah. uh, make it harder to cope. And so the illness appears in full force. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty close to my experience. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. 
Oof. <laughs> um, well, thank you for being so candid about that. I know opening up about OCD can be really difficult. Um, and maybe we will have you back on the podcast to talk about that because I think that is a whole nother episode yeah. uh, for sure. <laughs> I'd love to. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else do we need to know about ADHD versus autism? We've talked about hyperfixations versus special interests. Um, let's talk about hyperfocus because that is something that I know you mentioned a little bit. Um, what does that feel like for you? Um, painful sometimes. Sure. Yeah. I understand yeah. it's not always a superpower. Yeah. It's not always a superpower. Sometimes it's, um, really like, difficult to deal with because like I can get hyper-focused on something that's so insignificant that it stops me from moving like physically moving my body for hours and I've gotten nowhere basically you know I have different outlooks on it now but like the fact that I'm not moving my body the fact that I'm not going to get water or the fact that like you know I'm not you know paying attention to my body's cues and like my muscles hurt you know like that's kind of what hyperfocus can feel like for me and then like on the other hand you know sometimes hyperfocus can be really awesome like I can pay attention to something that's very important um, and that feels good I can get a lot of work done in a really short amount of time once I get to it because <laughs> there's executive dysfunction that's keeping me from doing that work so we'll, we should probably talk about that too <laughs> yes if, <laughs> if sure. you're okay with talking about executive dysfunction oh, yeah. we can launch into that because I don't necessarily think hyperfocus is a part of autism um mm -hmm. I do feel like I've experienced it which is part of why I'm curious if I might also have ADHD as well um mm -hmm. but I I think it might just be me indulging in my special interests because hyperfocus almost never feels like a bad thing to me or my version of it it feels like euphoric if that makes sense it like yeah. like I hold on <laughs> you're not gonna be able to see this on the podcast but like I made a whole ass my autism diagnosis that. binder it is all filled out and like perfectly immaculate I made a um Megan's autistic now what PowerPoint to show friends and family. You made a PowerPoint for your friends and family. Oh I made God. a PowerPoint. So I love it. I want to see I it get, like super focused and super intense. It doesn't necessarily feel the way you're describing. So I'm thinking maybe mm -hmm. they're different things, which is really interesting to me, but yes, let's talk about executive dysfunction because yeah. that is something we definitely have in common. Yes. But right before we do that, I would say like, there is some times where I, like, I do feel really happy when I am hyper-focused, but okay. it's sort of like, I don't like what happens to my body and like <laughs> my mind while I'm hyper-focusing sometimes, but yeah, like I, I love getting into the flow. So like, I think that's cool. It's just, I, I don't like forgetting to take care of myself whilst doing it. So, right. Very you. good point to remember. I, um, am less uncomfortable with that aspect of it because I don't take great care of my body anyway. So like, I tend to think of myself as a floating head. Um, oh my God. I tend to forget that I have a body a lot of the time. Hmm. Um, so I don't know if that's an autistic thing or a me thing, but yeah, I, I definitely have always seen myself as this like floating mass of ideas and synapses. And then every now and again, I'll see myself in a mirror and I'm like, whoa, physical form. I have a physical form. Who, what is this? <laughs> and I don't, I'm sorry, but like the only thing I'm thinking of right now is like the, the heads in a jar, like on Futurama. Did you yes, watch Futurama? Yes, that's what and I, I had, feel like, like. Like George Bush's head or something <laughs> in the jar. This is Megan. That's me. Oh, yep. Just a floating that's cool. head. Um, that's nice to meet you, floating head. 
<laughs> um, so if, if you haven't heard of the term executive dysfunction, what it is, is basically when you want to do something, you are actively trying to do the thing and you can't do it mm -hmm. and you do not know why. And it is infuriating. And there actually can be many reasons why executive dysfunction involves lots of different uh, neurological processes that can get interrupted or uh, short-circuited or, you know, lots of different misfirings that can happen. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things that a lot of us equate with laziness and it's absolutely not. So I think I've actually done an episode on executive dysfunction. So I will go ahead and link that in the show notes, but um, yeah, let's just talk about what our executive dysfunctions feel like and like, see if they're different or the same. Okay. Well, my good friend, executive dysfunction um, so for me, it is a lot of like, I call it getting stuck. So um, it is basically scrolling through my phone, trying to like find something. And like, I've talked to this with a few friends who are also neurodivergent where it's like, what are we trying to find? And the best answer I can come up with is like dopamine because tech typically like folks with ADHD, we don't have the proper amounts of dopamine. You know, there's, there's, something different about our brains that makes it harder for us to uptake it harder for us to produce it um and you know with with executive function it, it is literally like getting stuck getting frozen and your body won't move but inside like you are screaming you may look super calm like you're just sitting there like scrolling on the phone staring off onto the in the space you know whatever um, one time I was just like sitting on the couch, like move. Like I felt like I was in Kill Bill, like when she's in the back of the, the, the pee wagon um, and she's trying to move her little toe. And I don't know if you've seen that movie, but she's like willing herself to move her toe because she's been in a hospital for like years and years. She's been in a coma for years and years. So she couldn't use her feet anymore. Mm -hmm. She was like atrophied. And she was just looking at her toes going, move your little toe. She had to mentally will herself to do that. And that's what I feel like executive function feels like to me. Like it's my brain is trying so hard to will my body to just literally get up and stop scrolling through my phone or stop, you know, doing something kind of insignificant, I guess, or get out of bed, like wake up. I have a really hard time getting out of bed in the morning, like really hard. And it's not because I don't want to, it's because I just can't, like, I cannot think of the process to get out of bed, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah. that was a huge uh, thing for me, especially in grad school for some reason, uh, probably because it was just a very stressful environment, mm -hmm. uh, a very stressful time. And so executive dysfunction tends to get worse in times of high stress. Um, but so I used to like do everything I could the night before so that getting out of bed would be as easy as possible. Like, and, and I would go through the executive dysfunction the night before. <laughs> so it, all it did was make me stay up late instead of having to get up early. It, it was a whole mess, but like, I would have to lay out my clothes and plan out my meals. And I would have the same meals every day because partially because I'm autistic and partially, you know, same foods, all that, but partially because it made it really simple. I didn't have to make a decision. It just was like, I know every morning I have coffee and waffles like mm -hmm. boom done <laughs> yeah it takes away that like uh decision fatigue 
Right. Yes. Yeah. Because decision making is part of executive functioning and mm-hmm. it can be super difficult to cope with. Yeah, absolutely. And you can like take your spoons away and, you know, sap your energy to have to think like, okay, so what am I going to put on today? You know, I think what you did was a really good coping mechanism to like get yourself ready. I, I've never been able to like achieve that. I guess you could say like, I've never been like a closed layer router. I've always wanted to be able to do that stuff. Um, And maybe I could do it like maybe for a week, but I've never been able to consistently do that, like to make life easier for myself. So that's hard. That's a hard thing about ADHD and executive function is that like, I know lots of ways to like, you know, to get ahead and to take care of myself as an ADHD person. The problem is like, I can't make myself do those things because of executive dysfunction. Right. Which is so that sounds really familiar to me, but also a little bit different. So the way like you're saying, Oh, well, like I could do it for like a week and then I would probably stop. Um, for me, like I have to lay my clothes out ahead of time, partially because it helps with the executive dysfunction, Mm -hmm. but also because if I don't, I will lay awake trying to decide what to wear. And like, because my brain is obsessed with efficiency. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know if I don't lay my clothes out the night before, I'm going to not only waste time thinking about it while I fall asleep, but I'm also going to waste time in the morning because I won't have decided because I'll have fallen asleep while thinking about it. And that's not very efficient. And so instead I have to lay it out the night before, but in periods of high stress or just when my executive dysfunction is flaring up in general, this Mm -hmm. obsession with efficiency makes me so much less efficient because Mm -hmm. I can't make a decision. I can't figure out the best way to do it. So instead I keep restructuring in my head what I need to be doing. And all of a sudden I will like come back to my body and I'll I'll be frozen in some weird position. And I'm like, how long have I been here? Wow. Hi there, everybody. I just want to take a minute to interrupt this podcast episode to tell you all about my program, Neurodivergent Magic. Get shit done in 24 hours or less. Executive dysfunction is one of the number one problems for neurodivergent folks. And if you don't know, executive dysfunction is basically when you really want to do something, you are trying to do something and you just can't get yourself to do it. This is one of the biggest issues amongst neurodivergent people. And I have learned so much on how to cope with it that I want to pass it on to you. In this nine-week group coaching program, we will cover both the emotional side of executive dysfunction and the practical side. So you will learn practical tools for how to cope with it, but you'll also tackle the emotional blocks that make executive dysfunction come back over and over again. If this program sounds right for you, make sure you check out the link in the show notes. I would absolutely love to see you in Neurodivergent Magic. So that's my experience. I don't know. That's a little bit different, but I do think it's executive functioning issues for Mm -hmm. sure. (laughs) I mean, it totally sounds like it. I think it's almost like an overthinking thing where you're like, you think yourself into getting stuck. Yes. Yes. And I think for me, like sometimes that does happen. Like occasionally, like it happens most when I'm actually get up the energy to like, that's not even energy really. It's like a motivation switch, I guess. When I actually am like, okay, I can clean. Like when I'm cleaning, I have such a hard time. I overthink cleaning so much. Um, Like, where does this thing need to go? And like, you know, if I have some clutter on my desk, I'll pick it up and I'll just move it like one, one 
thing to the side, you know, like an inch to the side, because I'm like, I don't know where to put this. This doesn't have a category in my mind. So, and I like get overwhelmed and I freeze and I stop and I just put it down somewhere else. And that's why I just like have a bunch of clutter, you know, mm-hmm. it's because I don't know where to put that stuff. So like in my mind and physically, but yeah, like, I think I do have sort of similarities with that, like overthinking, but for the most part for me, it's like, I'm not overthinking like getting out of bed. I just, it's like a weird like block. Like it just, I just can't, you know. It feels like a wall. Yeah. 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 Cause I have it, experienced that. I will say this is not medical advice for anyone listening, but having a baby mm, <laughs> has helped with the getting out of bed I, a lot because I have a reason to yeah. get up and there are consequences if I don't, because I have to listen to him scream. <laughs> okay. I don't have that yet. So I just have an angry cats who want to be fed, which can be kind of bad, but not as bad as, as screaming baby, not right. as, uh, not as urgent as a screaming baby <laughs> for sure. Yeah. No, pets are another really, really wonderful way to cope. I think with, Mm -hmm. um, some of the effects of ADHD and autism. Um, I mean, it depends on the person obviously, but I think having that other being relying on you, like can help break through those walls of executive dysfunction. Sometimes, sometimes it adds to the pressure and makes it worse, but sometimes it helps you break through. It's sort of a toss up. It is. And I think that's like, kind of like life with ADHD. For me, <laughs> is it is kind of a toss up. Like, is this thing going to work for me this week? Or is it going to make me stressed? Because it can do both. Like kind of depending on where I'm at, kind of in like this ADHD sort of cycle is like, you know, uh, does working really hard make me or like having deadlines? Does that make me this week? It makes me feel like I'm good to go and I can do this and it's motivating me next week it's gonna overwhelm me the same amount of deadlines and it's just you know like whatever my brain decides absolutely the mm-hmm. consistent inconsistency yeah so I've I've had to do it like dealing with that has been kind of hard um and I really just I'm stepping into my neurodivergence in the last few years um and I have always considered myself up until now, like, I didn't know I was neurodivergent. Of course, I thought I was like this, like super high functioning, like, I hate that term anyway, a high functioning, like a uh, neurotypical who was like, you know, a great worker. And, you know, I never stopped and, you know, you know, all the things. And then I learned that I wasn't because I crashed because I was masking so hard, basically with the OCD. So the OCD kind of came to a head. And then I kind of came to uh, this realization that I don't know where I'm going with my then. Thank you, ADHD. I totally lost my train of thought. Oh no, you're okay. You're okay. (laughs) So that's hard too. That is hard too. Like when you lose your train of thought, like you go all the way back and it's like you, I have this like genuine worry that like, oh my God, people are going to get upset with me. You know, like I'm thinking about like the listeners of this podcast, like, man, like, you know, they have to hear me ramble. But also like, I have to admit that like, I've lost my train of thought. And that's such a vulnerable place to be. Like, I just don't want to do that for a lot of people. So, you know, here you go. This is what it's kind of like, this is actual ADHD right here is <laughs> like losing your train of thought. And like, I know I had a great point, but will you help me remember? Yeah. Yeah. So, and here's the thing. Um, I lose my train of thought constantly too. Mm-hmm. So you were talking about, um, what were you talking about? 
this this is what it's like having two neurodivergent people (laughs) trying to talk on a podcast this is genuinely how our conversations go we chat like pretty much every week and this is this is just what happens like what I don't know. so just for the listeners part of executive wait, function wait, okay memory. so you yes memory is a huge mm-hmm. thing you were talking about how you thought you were this super high power neurotypical mm-hmm. and then the OCD came to a head and you yeah. realized like oh shit <laughs> oh, that's shit. sort of where you were going that's what kind of what is uh, you know I'll just talk about that like you know like I I it came to a head and I realized I had to like like I wasn't a broken neurotypical like I kept trying to try harder and I know this has nothing to do with the original point that I was trying to make but like it also is a good point is that I'm not a broken neurotypical I'm a neurodivergent who actually ended up getting broken because I was trying to be neurotypical or I thought I was or I had no words for what I am um I always knew I was different um but again like I masked that difference and I tried so dang hard I had a job that made me like have to be perfect like logistics I had to be perfect it was pretty fast-paced high-powered sort of job and I just couldn't do it anymore one day like I woke up and I just couldn't I crashed I had to go to the hospital it was I was so depressed so anxious and like I I just couldn't do it anymore and since then I've left all kinds of jobs like that like I won't do jobs like that anymore. And I've started living my life in a way that embraces my neurodivergence, um, being a freelancer. And then I'm like, I work on the weekends and it's not so bad, you know, like it's actually a really great life. And I feel more validated by a lot of things. I'm, and I surround myself with a lot more validating people too, you know? So I think that that's, it's all a huge difference. It's been a, it's still a work in progress, but yeah. So I'm not a broken neurotypical. I am a neurodivergent who is blossoming. I guess I am a flower, I guess. <laughs> no, I flower. love that. I say that all the time. Neurotyp- neurodivergent people are not broken neurotypicals. We are not, that is not the goal here in our life to be neurotypical. And for so many of us mm-hmm. with the masking, like that was our goal for so long, like just come off neurotypical and everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. And then we burn out and we realize no matter how neurotypical we act, it's not going to make things okay. It's not. And it's, it in fact makes things worse for us. And then like, it doesn't stop the rest of the world from not understanding us, right. which sucks. You know, I, I, I'm not upset with the person that I used to be because I know that I was trying to just do the best and trying to survive. I'm more upset with like a system that kind of makes us have to do that. That frustrates me a lot. You know, like I feel bad for the small me who always felt like she was so wrong all the time and like that's again where you talk about that neurodivergent trauma it just it's strong man like the more I look back on it the more I'm like this I just get angry for myself when I was younger you know and then I continued pushing my own intuition and my own neurodivergence down as an adult like I took on that role of like oppressing myself and I feel even worse for that you know this this is just so much there's so much to like consider as you like sort of are healing. I feel like I'm on a healing journey. Oh, absolutely. I, I know that I am for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, this podcast is called healing unscripted. So yeah, <laughs> yeah yes, I completely hear that. Mm-hmm. Something that you mentioned that I definitely think we should talk about is burnout, neurodivergent yeah. burnout. And we sort of touched on it here, but, um, 
I think so often we get trapped in cycles of burnout too. Have you noticed that? Absolutely. Yes. Is I mean, there's the major burnouts that we have that are huge and it's, it's not cyclical. It's one big flare of a disaster. Um, and I've definitely had mine. Um, I'm, I'm hoping no more. I'm hoping yeah, I've, it's only here. the one or two. Um, but I know when I was in college, I was in a productivity burnout cycle that was weekly. Like it was every single week. It was Wednesday was the day I would burn out. And then Thursday would be sort of a post burnout, like recovery day. And as I would recover, I would be like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. Go like up the cycle. And then like right around Tuesday, I would start like, oh my gosh, I can't sustain this. I can't. And then I would crash. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, that's totally familiar to me. Like, absolutely. Like, and I, I, I don't know if that has to do with like neurodivergence for me or with the OCD, which is also could be a form of neurodivergence as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I saw it referred to as like the perfection burnout cycle at some yes. point, mm-hmm. um, where it is like you, you burn out, you feel bad about burning out and mis- making mistakes. So you try harder and you, when you do feel better, you, you go right back into overworking yourself over trying you know, over masking and then you burn out again and again and again. Um, and those cycles have definitely perpetuated themselves through my entire life. Um, and they are, I, I would say within a few months of each other, like I'd say about three or four months um, is how this, like how, how long that cycle lasts. But as I've discovered that I'm a neurodivergent and I'm sort of embracing that lifestyle, um, it's happening a lot less. And like, you know, I'm also rearranging my ideas about like productivity and capitalism, not making anything political, but you know, just like all that fun stuff, ableism and, you know, trying to um, see things from a different perspective about like, I don't need to be productive to be worthwhile. Um, I don't need to give anything to anybody in order to be worthwhile. Um, I give a lot to people um, just as, just being here. And I'm not saying that in like a humble brag sort of way. I do. I think if you asked anybody, they'd probably say that about me as I go above and beyond. And I don't feel like I have to, and I don't do it because I, I don't feel like I owe anybody anymore. You know, like I, I don't owe anybody my productivity and knowing that has kind of cut that cycle for me. It still happens for sure because I still am working through that, but I don't crash hard anymore. And if I do, I rest and I remind myself, let's try not to do that again. You know, let's try to change things so that you don't get to that point again. I'm actively thinking about it now instead of just going headlong into that cycle again. Right. Yeah. I, I am not quite to that enlightened place. I don't think I'm not on a weekly burnout cycle anymore, which is nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's probably more of a monthly burnout cycle at this Mm -hmm. point (laughs) where all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't do anything. I'm not productive. What's wrong with me. I'm a bad, bad person. And I'm trying to reframe because intellectually, I know all of the stuff that you're Mm -hmm. saying. My productivity is not tied to my worth. I am worthwhile simply by existing. Like Mm -hmm. I know all of that, but it doesn't feel true when you burn out. It feels like, especially because if you let it get so bad that you burn out, you, it's not about taking a self-care day. It's about like, you have to 
restructure the way you live your life in order to get things back on track. And if you're stuck in this cycle, you're not just getting things back on track to a healthy pace. You're trying to get things back up to an insane pace. Um, and yeah, so exactly. <laughs> it's one of those things I'm, I'm learning intellectually, eventually it'll sink in emotionally. <laughs> it will. It just takes time. Like, and I'm certainly no, I'm certainly not enlightened. I'm certainly, I certainly still also go through that and I struggle and I shame myself sometimes. And I, I, I think about like, oh, I could be doing so much more. Um, but I'm definitely better about it, but it takes, it took, it's taken me a long time, like a long time to like, it's, you know, it's taken like 30 years to get that stuff in my skull. So it's going to take quite a few years to get it out, you know? So same for you. It will take a while. And, but I, I believe, and from what I know of you and like, you know, we're fairly good friends at this point. I think you're pretty cool. And I think that you can do it. it. You know, I think that you're headed on the right path for sure. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't like fishing for affirmation. <laughs> no, I, it wasn't. I just wanted to give it to you because I noticed, you know, I, I, you know, you say I'm full of gems. You give me a lot of them too. And like, I don't know, I, I think that, you know, you have so much insight that that insight's going to carry you to that place where you're taking better care of yourself and you're embracing your neurodivergence and for embracing your autism, you know. And that's actually, that's the question I have for you is like, how does embracing your autism, how has that helped you? Because I know that embracing my ADHD has helped me tremendously with my mental health. How has that helped you with your mental health? So it's been a bit of a mixed bag at this point because I have, it has positively impacted me and somewhat negatively impacted me. But I think the negativity is very short-lived and is not here to stay. Um, the negativity comes from trying to talk to other people about being autistic and having them doubt me um, and like second guess me and downplay me and invalidate me. And that feels obviously very crappy, Um, but not to dwell on that negative stuff. Instead, like, let's talk about the positivity of embracing your autism. Um, It has help me feel so seen, I guess. Like that's been the biggest thing. Um, I have felt misunderstood. I think since I came out of the womb, um, like that's my entire MO. I'm a type four Enneagram. I'm an IN or ENFP. Like I'm just very like, that's, that's my vibe, um, is feeling misunderstood. And I thought that was just like, me that was just some flaw I had like you feel misunderstood because you want to feel special because you're a horrible person um like that was sort of the lot line of logic I used to follow and now it's like no you feel misunderstood because you are autistic and you were always shamed for being autistic even though that's not what people were saying directly because they didn't know but regardless you were being shamed for autistic behaviors and then you had to learn to hide them and so basically like embracing my autism looks like saying oh that's autism that's not me being a horrible horrible person Mm -hmm. or like oh that's autism that's not like 18 different disorders like Mm -hmm. oh that's that's just my autism I guess (laughs) yeah I I think you kind of hit on that uh for me as well with ADHD sometimes it felt like I had the alphabet soup where I was like when I was trying to like figure out like with my doctors and with you know everything going on like what's going on with me you know um they did eventually settle on a uh, OCD and panic disorder um, and depression and 
the more that I realize, the more I learn about ADHD, the more I realize like it's kind of all like leading back to that. Like it's all affected by that. Like, you know, I, I was so depressed because not necessarily, and I, I, depression is an ongoing thing for me for sure. Like, you know, it's, I, I, for certainly, certainly I take medication every day and I have a, a chemical imbalance in my brain. Um, but I was majorly depressed because of all of the hard work I was doing to try to make myself normal. Um, and because of the OCD, the OCD was producing like really scary, hard thoughts um, to think about. And that was giving me a lot of anxiety and panic. But since becoming an understanding, like becoming ADHD, understanding my ADHD, um, most of those panic symptoms have gone away. Yeah. And I'm not saying like, it's like a cure or anything. Cause I still have panic attacks in it and everything, but like, they're not, I, I feel like it's more connected to the fact that like, I'm hypersensitive to a lot of things and that's why I panic a lot. Um, or I'm more sensitive to like noises um, because that also is a, a function of ADHD too, is that like, and I'm also like hypersensitive, like touch wise. And I don't know if that's like, I know that's a neurodivergency and that's uh, the highly sensitive person sort of neurodivergency. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we've talked about that. They're kind of like moving towards considering that just as part of either autism or ADHD or just a, not necessarily a neurodivergency in itself. Right. Yeah. I mean, it depends on who you talk to. The person who discovered yeah. the highly sensitive person trait, uh, Dr. Elaine Aaron, I think she has more or less staked her career on saying that it is its own trait. It is its own thing. It is neutral. Yeah. It is not a disorder and it is right. not part of any other neurotype. Um, yeah. So there's plenty of people who wholeheartedly believe that. Um, I definitely was part of that camp for a long time. And then like, I saw a lot of autistic creators saying like, look, if you look at the criteria for being an HSP and for being autistic, they are the same. And I just was like, there's no way. And personally through my own lens, I would say that they are incredibly similar and it, you would be hard pressed to argue that they're different, but Mm -hmm. that's, I think that's a really interesting debate that like the neurodivergent community should be having. I think that's super fascinating. And I think either way, we're just going to learn more about ourselves, whether it's its own thing or whether it's autism or whatever, like we're just going to learn more. So I think there's really nothing to be lost by talking about it. Yeah, not at all. I think that it's like, this is what's great about like, we're like kind of on like the, the, the ground floor of like this greater knowledge of autism and neurodivergency and stuff and mental health is that we get to see it grow. We get to see everything kind of get defined, get to see the magic as it's written. Um, Something interesting that you pointed out was that uh, Elaine Aaron talks about HSP as neutral. It's not a disorder. And I would absolutely love to take the D off of ADHD and um, autism spectrum disorder. Absolutely. That's something I was going to ask you, actually, that was going to be my last question. Um, Do you consider your ADHD a disorder? And if this is different for you, do you consider your ADHD a disability? Such a great question. And this is one that I, uh, I do struggle with. I think it's complicated. I think it's individual for everyone. And when I say I'd like to remove the disorder part, I do want to say that like, it's not for everybody, everybody, every individual who's neurodivergent, can decide this for themselves. That's 
that's how it is because it affects your lives differently. Um, for me personally, like sometimes, yes, it is a bit of a disorder. It's sometimes, you know, I do really struggle. Um, and there are things that disorder my life. Um, I think knowing clinically the definition of a disorder is like, you know, something I know for OCD, it's like, it's when your compulsions take, it's a disorder when your compulsions take up more than four hours of your day, basically. Um, and that's kind of how I think about it, like with ADHD, um, is it taking up more than four hours in my day, then it's kind of disordered and I might need help, but I don't want that stigma on me that there's something wrong with me. You know, like, I don't think that there's something wrong with me. I think that there's something different about me and I need specific and special skills, help resources in order to get better. Like, you know, like you wouldn't look after a tree the same way you would look after an alligator, right? Yes, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I you absolutely know. love that. And I think that's that's why I think it's interesting to ask people, do you consider your condition a or your experience a disorder? And do you consider it a disability? Because a lot of what I'm seeing, and I have not in any way decided what I think about autism. Mm-hmm. I don't know yet because this is still kind of fresh for me. Um but a lot of what I'm seeing online is a lot of people saying they don't view it as a disorder. They view it as a difference, a lot like what you're saying, but they do view it as a disability because of what you're saying, like not necessarily because there's anything wrong with them, but because there's something wrong with the world around us that does not embrace yeah. people who are different. Um, it's sort of the social model of disability where yeah. you are disabled by the environment around you. You are disabled the verb. You are not disabled the noun. Um, it's not what's wrong with you. It's what's wrong with the environment you are in. Yeah. And I very much am on that side of the social model of disability is that there's a lot systemically wrong that doesn't embrace, uh, people who are different and doesn't give them avenues or opportunities to, um, shine and to be healthy mentally because we haven't really developed those systems. The systems are not in place for us. And that, is what I'm trying to change. Um, personally, like when we talk about disability, I'm still like, I feel like I'm still so new to this and I haven't thought, I think I still have like a lot of like ableist like ideas about being disabled. And I'm like, you know, I, I hate to admit that, but like, you know, I'm just sort of now thinking about it because there are times where my experience has been absolutely disabling. I, I can't really work uh, the same way that other people work. You know, I, I can't do a nine to five. Um, I can't do a lot of things because I'm different um, as they are now. I can do a lot of things if I have accommodations, um, which I guess does make me disabled. But at the same time, like I have this feeling like this, I'm sure we all get kind of fed this is like, I'm not disabled enough. You know, like I can work, like I do work and I work very hard. Um, but does that just, does, do disabled people need to work to be, you know, productive or worthwhile or any of that, you know, or to earn a living, you know, like, like, I, I don't know. It's a very complicated topic to be in, you know, I almost feel like I wouldn't want to take benefits from someone else by, you know, or opportunities from someone else by saying I'm disabled. But I think that's, that's a personal thing that I'm sort of like, working through, I guess, and trying to figure out, and I need more information on it, you know? 
<laughs> Absolutely. Like that's, that's more or less exactly what I have been feeling. You put, you put it in words so beautifully. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've been coming to grips with the fact that my experience, whatever is going on with me, like my autism, I guess is disabling. Mm-hmm. It, like you said, it, it keeps me from working the way a neurotypical would work. It keeps me from working under certain at all under certain conditions mm-hmm. and and disability is not just about work either. You know, I mean, yeah. that's, that's the way we frame it a lot of times in the States, um, and in the Western world in general, but, um, disability is about its impact on your life and your quality yeah. of life and yeah. talk about quality of life. That is what, um, I've had countless therapists talk to me about like, well, it actually seems like you're coping really well and like you're functioning very well, but your quality of life is garbage, Megan. And I'm like, I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like, you know, like that, again, you're right. You're right to point out that work is not the only metric for like, you know, someone's life, yet that is how we kind of consider disability. But like, yeah, like your quality of life is important and like your functioning level doesn't determine like, your happiness at all life none of that you know and that's why functioning labels are so harmful if anyone's listening and you've been wondering or you want us to talk about that we can talk about it real quick but functioning labels divide people into good enough and not good enough and that is not what we're here for um that is not solidarity like i stand with everyone who is autistic regardless of their support needs Mm -hmm. i am one and the same with them and you cannot insult or belittle or anything someone who is autistic in a different way from me. And also you can't belittle me by saying, well, you're high functioning autistic because you're holding this conversation right now, or you're making eye contact or whatever. Like you do not know my quality of life. You do not know my support needs. My support needs are actually relatively high. Um, They just, just because I can live, I live independently, but I live independently with a spouse and having a spouse makes a huge difference. And when I lived alone, my quality of life was dangerously low. Yes. Same, same. I virtually could not take care of myself, even though on the outside, like I had a corporate job, I made it to work on time every day, mostly for the most part. Um, (laughs) um, And like, I ran a freaking marathon too. And like, you know, people are like, wow, you're doing so great. There can't be anything wrong with you. But like, they didn't see the breakdowns. They didn't see the meltdowns. They didn't see you know, the need to stim, um, and like, you know, learning that stuff. And, and that's something I, I want listeners to know is that ADHD people also stim. And that's actually, it's not, um, just something that goes along with autism. Um, it's about self-stimulatory behavior and calming yourself down. And it's actually a great way to help yourself, but I don't do it in front of other people because there's so much shame about it, which you know, sucks because like, that's one thing that could help me, you know, that could have helped me in like the workplace or with relationships, you know, and now I can, I'm in a safe place. You know, I have a very, um, you know, affirming husband who's like, oh, okay. I see you're stimming. Are you okay? Like, do you need anything? You know, he doesn't make me feel bad for it. You know, of course not. He's also, he's autistic. So he understands, Um, you know, but like, heck, you know, I, I feel bad that people have to sort of like stim in silence and like, you know, we can function again, air quotes, 
just fine but it's like I'm not actually and sometimes I am but like you don't know like the part that you see of a neurodivergent person is just the tip of the iceberg exactly there we're vastly we live vastly complex lives yeah just like everybody everybody is a deeply complicated person and neurodivergent people are no different um so yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely so this has been literally such a wonderful conversation i'm so so glad we did this (laughs) um so remind people again where they can find you and you also um have a couple of very unique resources for neurodivergent folks so go ahead and tell people about that sure do okay so you can find me at my soul balm dot blog and that's balm as in b-a-l-m and not like bomb muscle bomb (laughs) um it uh the two great resources that I have, I have a lot of great resources on my site. So please go check them out. I am working on building the biggest resource site, mental health resource site hub, basically for anybody, but like with a specific bent towards neurodivergent, um, making that the most comprehensive site on the internet in the world by 2025, which is a pretty lofty goal, but I think it needs to happen. So please check that out. Um, And then also you can, I have a great awesome, beautiful, wonderful, affirming group called that I run in on Facebook called the Neurodivergent Learning and Life Skills Group. And I freaking love it in there. Oh yeah. Um, I'm a part of it. It is a gold mine. It is literally fantastic. So literally so affirming. If you've been Mm -hmm. in neurodivergent spaces where there's a lot of squabbling, this is not really that kind of place. This is much more of a, that's your experience. That's fascinating. Here's my experience. It's much more of that type of realm. It's much more of like a, you know, we accept, I don't even, I don't have like questions to get in there. There's no gatekeeping. There's none of that. And it it seems to perpetuate like that in the group. Um, People come in they're like, oh, I feel so seen and heard here. And like, they talk to each other and they're like learning from each other. And what I do in that group is I post not just like sort of like just random posts. Like I, I post a lot of education on and tools and resources to specifically help with our mental health, but it's also a space where neurodivergent folks can talk about their experience, a safe space, private group. Um, No one can see what we're talking about basically. So, you know, all are welcome, but we, you know, have rules and everything, but you can come and privately talk about your experience as a neurodivergent person in anything in like, you know, is it work? Is it relationships? Is it with your mental health? Is it, you know, are you just having a hard time making a decision that day? You know, like anything you want to talk about, we're here, we're here to affirm you in that group. So I would strongly suggest joining it. It's, it's been like really awesome for me and I'm running the group. So I hope that it's awesome for other people in the group too, but it's definitely a a passion project for me. And then the second thing is our neurodivergent on my website, the neurodivergent mental health center, um, on my blog, sorry, my soulbalm.blog. Um, it's uh, basically sort of the same idea as the group. It is about education, um, but it is also more about um, mental health concepts explained um, in the perspective of neurodivergency. Um, it's about advice um, about doing a sort of life as a neurodivergent person and advice on you know, connecting and figuring out how to do things and basically just giving you all of the tools and resources you can ever want as a neurodivergent person who is also maybe struggling with their mental health, or if you're not struggling, 
you are looking for wellness because I feel like in the wellness world, there's not a lot of room right now for neurodivergent people. So um, that's that's where we're at. Yeah, like if you have heard about the mindfulness hype and you're just like, mm-hmm. I have ADHD, that's not a thing for me. Yeah. Maria just posted an incredible, incredible resource in the Neurodivergent Resource Center about how to make mindfulness work for neurodivergent folks. And mm-hmm. it is seriously so helpful. Um, so that's the type of content you're gonna find there. Perfect. I couldn't have said it better myself. Actually, you can say it better than me. Well done. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. I am so yeah. glad, so happy to have you here. And um, thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom. Oh, thank you so much for letting me share my wisdom. Well, I don't even know if it's wisdom. <laughs> it is for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks for having me. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you give us a follow over on Spotify, leave a review over on Apple Podcasts, and tune in next Saturday for another amazing episode.